0: Well, good morning and welcome everybody one more time to Encounter Church. We are so glad that you're here, especially uh, if this is your first time at Encounter or just to, to church in general. Uh, this is the perfect time to start making church like this regular rhythm, a habit in your life, because we're starting a new series today that I'm super pumped about. It's like, you know, preacher getting excited about the Christmas season. It's it's kind of stereotypical, but uh, we're going to lean into it. It's called Gifted, and uh, just as a part of this series, um, you, you're handed one of these cards at at the door with a promise to explain a little bit more about that uh, later um, what we're doing is we're trying to cover Grand Rapids with thousands and thousands of random acts of kindness just to simply say hey you were gifted this could look like uh, you know paying for the coffee of the person behind you or maybe if you're a kid like babysitting for somebody but instead of receiving payment for uh, for babysitting you could like hand them one of these cards and say you've just you've been gifted this random act of kindness and on the bag is my favorite part it says that I hope this random act of kindness reminds you that somebody notices and cares about you. It's not because of anything you did or didn't do. It's because you matter. You have incredible value and worth. And then an invitation, share your story at EncounterChurch.org slash gifted. Uh, Just out of curiosity, we did this last year as well. How many of you remember, just put your hands up, do you remember doing this? Not did you participate or anything, Did you just remember? A few more hands go up with that second part. You remember doing this last year. So the cool thing about this is that uh, during the Christmas Eve worship experiences, we share these stories. So make sure to come to that one because it's just going to be really, really, incredible. It's a powerful time of seeing what God is up to with all these stories of, of generosity and kindness that we're sharing, of gifting. Um, but, and I never said this on stage before, but we actually kept getting stories even after this campaign ended last year. But it was like it wasn't Christmas time, so it was kind of like awkward to share those. Um, but it's Christmas time again now, so I can share them. One of the stories, one of you took one of these cards last year and went to the Grand Valley State University uh, Pew Campus Library, whoever you are. And, uh, and you took a card with $5 and tucked it in the book that you, were, uh, that you had checked out and then put it back. Well, somebody later on that semester checked that same book out, got the card along with a $5 bill. And I know that because they took the time to share their story, sent it into the church office to say, I don't know who you people are at Encounter Church, but you've absolutely made my day. Thank you. And I'm just like, this is so cool. I love hearing those stories. I love the idea of gifts, being able to connect some of the dots of love in, in people's lives. You see, that's what a good gift does, right? A good gift isn't just something expensive. A good gift isn't just something elaborate. No, no. A good gift connects some of the dots in somebody's life to, to let them know that they are loved. And so the series that we're all about uh, for this December is taking a look at some of the, the gifts that were given to connect the dots of God's love. Now, the gifts that we're going to do is the, the gifts of the wise men, sometimes called the magi, other times called the kings, but they weren't actually kings. So that's sort of misleading. And it's a song we're not going to do around here, We Three Kings, because it wasn't even three kings of them either. Well, we don't know. There could have been. There could also have been a, a hundred kings. It, it, we're not really sure. It just says that there were wise men or magi. It was a plural. And we just sort of assume, hey, there's three gifts. So there's probably three kings or magi to go along with it. But the Bible doesn't actually say that. Let's go to the Bible right now. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. If I could just get that on the screen behind me. If you know what the gifts are, when I read it, let's just all say it together. Um, Then they, this is the wise men, opened their treasures when they met Jesus. And they presented him, that's Jesus, with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You remember the stories, too. Those were the gifts that they gave to Jesus. Now, a note on some of those, okay? Because a good gift, remember, connects all the dots. And the Bible, I am thoroughly convinced, is written by one author using many people, one author of God, using many people to write it over thousands of years. And so some of the dots that get connected are just incredible, Many of you were, were around for our series called Brave that we kicked off the, the fall season with. It was a story about Daniel. Daniel, remember, stood up. He was brave for God when nobody else was. And it cost him a lot. He was constantly in trouble by the people around him. Even though they didn't like him, they respected him. And so by the time his story came to an end. By the time Daniel died and passed on and the story continued, they didn't like him, but they maintained the traditions that he had. They maintained the work, the project that he was working on. And one of those significant projects was Daniel saying, listen, a time is coming, literally when the stars are aligning, that's going to be your sign that a king is going to be born. Now you're not going to know like how significant this king is but let me tell like he is the king of all kings he is the one he is the one that human history will be divided on before or after BC right he is going to be the one that is going gonna mark like the, the linchpin the significant um, event that human history is going to turn on like that's the magnitude of this event. And so even though they didn't like Daniel, they still respected him enough to continue looking and watching and waiting for the sign. And then, and then 600 years after the time of Daniel, the magi, those wise men, as they were called, the astrologers, they looked up and they saw that the stars were aligned and they knew a king had been born. And so they packed up what they had, and they set off on the months-long journey, and they brought those gifts along with them. When they met Jesus, they bowed down, they worshipped him, and they presented him the gifts that were so incredibly appropriate for the king that he was of, of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh. And even though those wise men, those magi, had no clue, could not have had any idea just what the significance of those gifts were, I think God knew because I think God was in the business of connecting those dots. And throughout this gifted series, we're taking a look at the, the, the significance of those gifts. That the gift of gold is so significant for the birth of Jesus because Jesus is the gift of a king and you give kings gold. Frankincense, whatever that is, we're going to hear it next week, is the gift of God, the gift of a Lord and myrrh, the gift of a Savior. But, t- but today's gift though, is so controversial, is so contentious. Today's gift is so divisive that it even made one local global ruler, one king, absolutely completely lose his mind. This is the gift of gold. Now, I want to give you a heads up because I don't want you to be surprised by it later on when we get to it. And said, he tricked me. It was just an interesting story that he was telling me. And then all of a sudden, you know, Baton switched it on me. I just want to tell you right up front that today's story, it's going to demand your attention. I think it's going to even demand your decision. Because today we're going to take a look at who Jesus is, the gift of gold, and we're going to see he's not just anybody. He's somebody. He's not just any king. He's the king. And we have to make a decision about how we're going to respond to him in light of that fact. So listen to the story. It comes from Matthew chapter 2. By the way, on the program, there's a Bible passage listed out there. That's entirely not the Bible passage we're going to talk about this morning. <laughs> I'll preach on it. Stick around for a while. Someday I'll preach on that one. Just not today. <laughs> I tell you that I just don't want you to like blame our communications team or anything for this. This is totally on me. This is a dark fail, all right? But Matthew 2, you can hop with the page number and then turn back. Matthew 2 is where we're going to kick it off in verse 1. There's Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you if you want to follow along. And by the way, always, if you don't have a Bible or if you just like ours better, take it. We love that. We give them away all the time. Can't steal it because we gave it to you. Okay, so it says... In, in verse 1, after Jesus, setting us in history here, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod. Now, pause right there because immediately we see this, this tension set up on the scene, right? That, that we've been talking about Jesus as if he was the king because you give kings the gift of gold like he had received, we just heard, but there's another king. There's, there's King Herod. And, and so you have like this, this showdown, this, this tension already in the story because, hey, like Bethlehem is only big enough, you know, for, for one king. Judea is only big enough for one king. And it's like, who's it gonna be? The smart money is on Herod, <laughs> especially at this time. Jesus' baby, maybe a toddler, he was just born. Herod already had a significant resume behind him about what made him a great king. In fact, they even called him Herod the Great, because he was that great. And he rolled with some pretty great people. Just to give you some historical context on this, because I I love anchoring these stories in actual human history. It's not like far away in a galaxy long, long ago in Bible land. No, no, this is like actual historical stuff. And it's like anchored with with real people. Um, Herod the Great rolled with some pretty great people. One of them was Cleopatra, right? Some of you remember in, like, history class, Anthony and Cleopatra down in Egypt. He's not too far away in modern-day Israel. And Herod strikes a deal with Cleopatra so that they can, they can run as a monopoly the asphalt business, primarily out of the Dead Sea, which is really, like, profitable because he would actually, like, use the asphalt and they would, they would seal up ships, right? Because they wood and, you know, they, like, patch all the holes so they, like, hold waters. You could say that he made a boatload of money with the... Thank you. You're welcome. I'll be here all week, right? You clap for that? Are you kidding? All right. Now I know my audience. It's good to know. Okay. He also teamed up with Emperor Octavian at one point. Uh, the The Emperor of Rome. To to like, he leased a, uh, a a copper mine from the island of Cyprus. I just want you to see. Uh, Herod the Great rolled with some pretty great people. He did some pretty great. He stepped into Jerusalem, his capital city, and one of the things was he decided, you know what? If this is going to be my capital, this has to be, in his words, right, this has to be a city worthy of my dignity and my stature. And so he set out on all these improvements of the city, right? Where he, he expanded it, he rebuilt some buildings to it. In fact, he rebuilt the temple so extravagantly and elaborately that the people unofficially started calling it Herod's temple. I mean, like, oh man, a temple? Are you kidding me? But, but that's like the kind of guy he was. He wanted to make sure that everybody knew he was great. He was a great builder. He was a great partner. He was a great king. He was also greatly troubled. I mean, he was, he was paranoid. He had countless sons, nephews murdered because he saw them as threats to the throne. He changed his will something like four or, or five times because he was, he was worried that somebody was, was coming after him. He had one of his wives murdered. I mean, he's such a deeply troubled individual. One historian, so like outside of the Bible, kind of like just historian, like looking at some of the, the records, the public records at the time that we have now, I looked at this and said Herod was very much the evil genius of the Judean nation. In fact, he said, went on to say that Herod was the kind of guy who would commit any crime, do anything necessary, in order to maintain his rule above all else. That's Herod. That's Herod the great, that is now being set up in stark contrast to this new king, baby Jesus, that had just been born. You kind of wonder, like, how's he going to react to the news of these magi coming in town with, with what they're about to say? Let's read on in the story, and it says this. It says that the magi came from, you know, the east, right, and came to Jerusalem, the capital city, and they asked, where is the one who has been born? Oh, can you just imagine, been born in King of the Jews. I mean, like friend, they they must have been from out of town because you don't just go to Herod go into the palace, right? Like knock on the door, open it up, get in a throne room, you see Herod sitting on the throne, Herod the Great, Herod the King, he's sitting on the throne where kings sit, and then ask like, hey, um Heard there was a king. Have you met him? I mean Herod, right? He's losing his mind at this point. So if you could, uh, just kind of with me, we're going to connect some of these dots a little bit later. You see what I'm doing here? It's just kind of like if you're the note-taking kind of person or like if you'd like to mark up your Bible, it's just a circle, that like line, king of the Jews, because we're going to come back to that. At this point, like Herod is losing his mind, right? Everybody around him knows like he is not going to take this well. And in fact, he doesn't. The next line is they continue he goes they we saw the star we saw his star when it arose and have and we have come to worship him and when king herod heard this he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him okay some context on that because i think it may have been an understatement he was disturbed this story is written, I know it looks like words on a screen behind me. It's sort of like void of like paper and like a story outside of this. But like, if you have a Bible, you kind of like hold that and like, these are real words written on real paper. In fact, it's written by somebody named Matthew. And Matthew was writing this specifically for the Jewish people, many of them living in Jerusalem, the capital city. And they knew who Herod was, the good and the evil of him. And so, and so, and so when they hear the story that Matthew is telling, as, as some guests from the east saying, "Hey, I heard there was a king that's been born." And when Matthew says, "Yeah," and you know, Herod was disturbed by it. The listeners of this story are like freaking out right now, and they're like, "Herod has just like been issued this direct threat, like shots fired. Everybody, there's another king that has been born, and Herod is gonna lose his mind." And and he is disturbed, but, but all of Jerusalem along with him, because all of Jerusalem knew exactly what he was capable of. In fact, history shows that, that Herod, this Herod, Herod the Great, Herod the King, had killed so many Jewish rabbis, the religious teachers. Jesus was one of them when he grew up later on. He had killed so many rabbis that they had stopped going to Jerusalem altogether if they could avoid it. They just avoided the capital city because that's where Herod was. He just went around the city and you just got like shivers, right? Like, whoa, man, this is not a safe place because of King Herod. And now he's disturbed. He's evil, but he's also an evil genius. So he comes up with this plan, right? And so he, you know, a couple of verses, he gets it together in verse seven. He says, here we see that Herod called the magi secretly because he's an evil genius. And he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And it's like, <laughs> anybody who knows King Herod knows he's not going to go worship him. But that's just the point. They're from out of town. They don't know King Herod. Just a note, unlike this worship, right? Because we have to know what Herod is, is absolutely, no matter what, not going to do. If I could be honest, most of, the, most of the time, when we think about what it means to worship, what that means is that we come into church We pick out our spot. You all have spots. I know I see you. The same spots every week. I do the same, right? This is my spot right up here. And I I worship. Right, we put the words on the screen. Uh, the band comes out to lead us in worship, and we worship. I love it so much. I come twice every single week. I'd encourage, I'd encourage you guys too. But right, like I'm here. And if you're wondering, like whose hand is that in the air? Right, like in in front all the time. That's me because this is my like worship spot. This is where God shows up to me on a week weekend to weekend basis, consistently, and I and I love that. But this time of worship isn't where worship begins. It isn't even where worship ends. But this time of worship, you could say, is a time of, or a kind of worship that that is meant to, to like, reorientate my entire life around what matters most, which is Jesus. Him glorified, Him crucified, His forgiveness, His righteousness put on me. That's that's what matters most. And so this time of worship functions as as a reorientation of my entire week around that central principle. Now, we tend to think that worship happens just one time, but now here we see the magi coming up, the wise men coming up, and they're going to worship this baby Jesus with their gifts. Now, I don't think that what they mean by that is like they're gonna put words on a screen or a handout or something, and, and I like get their like harp and lyre out, and they're just gonna like, like worship him in that setting. No, 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 I think what they have in mind is something more than that something that I know, and you know now, Herod is never going to do. And the kind of worship that I'm talking about, a specific kind of of worship, and and to do this, I'm going to go, this is like something in speech class, like you never do, because it's so cliche, but Webster's Dictionary defines worship, and some of you in Toastmasters are like, oh, that's killing me. Um, No, no, Webster's Dictionary in 1829 is where we're going. So that's kind of unique. Defines worship, and I love this, as um, uh, extravagant love. And the part that I appreciate most is extreme submission. Like that's the part, that's the worship that those kings or magi, wise men from the East have come. They have come to lay down their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And here gold, representing the king that they are meeting for the first time. And here they are going to lay down not only their gifts, but also themselves and submitting themselves to extreme submission to this, the baby king. And that is something that Herod just cannot and will not wrap his mind around. In fact, he doesn't. In fact, in the next few lines, in verse 13, when they had gone, that's the wise men, the magi, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. And he did. It's been uh, come to recognize in history as as the, mass, the night of the massacre of the innocents. And Herod went to the, the village of Bethlehem. It's about five miles from Jerusalem, the capital city. And he knocked on every single door and he found every single kid looking for Jesus. Keep in mind, Bethlehem is a small town, teeny little village. There are more, almost certainly more people in the room today than the entire village of Bethlehem at the time. Like the soldiers came around. They found every single kid looking For Jesus, but he was an evil genius. He never saw coming the fact that an angel would come and and warn Joseph. Jesus is like stepdad or something. I'm not sure what the definition is on that one, but but like warn his parents to to flee, to get out, out of there, right? To, to go to Egypt, settle in the city of Alexandria where there was a huge uh, Jewish expatriate uh, community living there. All of them, by the way, were fleeing Herod the Great, Herod the Evil Genius, Herod uh, the King, be, because he, he was like, clamping down on all of this. So they, they fled out of there. And, and by the way, if you have like this special heart or this special like nudging inside of you to care uh, for people's displaced, for people's uh, living as refugees in, in foreign lands. Look, we've partnered up with Bethany Christian Services to, to resettle refugees here in, in West Michigan. It's been an awesome journey for that one. But, but like if you have, like you should kind of like resonate with this story, right? That's why your heart maybe does that because our, our God and our King was a refugee, a displaced person himself waiting out the time until Herod died and they could move back. And this time, when they move back, they move back to the place that is so far from the political life. They, they move back, not to Jerusalem or even Bethlehem. They move back to the, the country bumpkin town of Nazareth, of all places. And it's there that Jesus grows up. You know, I don't think they talked much about Jesus, the king, in his growing up years, at least not in front of them. But Jesus grew up. And he started studying what we know as the Old Testament, the law, the Torah, they called it. And he started becoming an expert in it. He started being recognized as an expert in it. He started making day trips to Jerusalem. Remember, it's not that far away. And so he'd go to Jerusalem and he would impress the leaders in the temple and then he'd go back again and then he'd go back and then he'd come home again. And pretty soon he himself was recognized as one of those religious leaders, as one of those, those rabbis. And he brought a message that was so radical that was so world-changing, that, that, was so, that, that was so epitomizing of the, of the events surrounding his birth that the, that the leadership at the time hated him for it because they were, they were hell-bent on, on maintaining power and control no matter what, not unlike Herod the Great, Herod the King. And they ended up killing him for it. Now, some of you recognize story. They took the story. Thro- they took the thorns, thorn uh, branches, and they, and they twisted it into, uh, into a crown, and, and they put purple on him, and they dug the thorns into his brow until he bled, and then they mocked him. They mocked him as the king, right? And, and if we could continue just uh, connecting the dots, when they strung him up on a, on a cross and nailed him there to die, for all of the little terrible Herods of the world, like each one of us, when they, when they put them there, it was Herod, it wasn't Herod the Great, it was his son, Herod Antipas, Herod the Tetriarch, who had a sign made that wrote, King of the Jews, above his head. Because God is in the business of connecting the dots to demonstrate his profound love for any one of us. He, he, he made good on that declaration foretold at his birth and also 600 years before then, but that's not even the main point I want to I want to make today. But the the point is, I guess, like like as evil as Herod is, like I get him right. There's something in it that like this makes sense, right? Um, the part of it I guess that that I struggle with, that I look kind of in a twisted, sick way up to Herod, even though he did unforgivable things, is that at least he understood the significance of the time that he was living in. At least he understood the rivalry that Jesus the king was setting up to himself as a king. You see, he saw Jesus for who Jesus really was, a rival king who has come to dethrone him, maybe not in a political literal sense, but but come to dethrone him and say, Herod, you are not in charge of your kingdom. You are not even in charge of your life. Jesus says, I is the king of all kings. I am in charge of you and everyone else because I am the king of creation itself. Here's why I kind of get Herod, why I fear him, I respect him, hate him all at the same time. It's because what we have done is we've taken the words of Jesus. We've taken the life of Jesus. And it's everything that came before, like the red letters, let's say, right here. We've taken everything before and we're like hacked it off. And we've forgotten that Jesus was the word at creation. We've forgotten that Jesus was the one who by whom all things were made that has been made. And that he is the one in him, all things hold together. And we've like, like cut that off in the beginning. And then we've taken everything after those red letters of Jesus. We've taken everything after, especially on into the book of Revelation, how it ends. And when we see that Jesus has come back on the clouds the same way that he left, in the first place, he comes back and he sits on a throne of not just heaven, but now heaven and earth. And every square inch of this creation that he has made, he is now reigning and ruling over. But we've, we've like lost that. And, and we've looked at Jesus and say, and say, just boil this down, just throw this down to just these red letters of Jesus. You know what he is? He's a great moral teacher. You know, I look at these words and, it, and they give me a way to lead the best possible life I can lead. They give me a way to do good. And he is all of those things. But he is also so much more than that. He's a king. And and Jesus has called us not just to follow his advice. He's calling us to follow him as a king, right? And Herod, for all of his faults, Herod, for for everything evil that he has ever done, Herod at least realized that. And he didn't try to pretend that Jesus was anything other than a king. And Herod knew what it meant to have a king and to be a king. Herod understood that when you have a king, everything that you think you have doesn't belong to you, it belongs to the king. Herod understood that, that when you have a king, the king always comes first. That it's almost like you take take out your checkbook and you write a blank check of your life. Nobody uses checks anymore. That analogy falls. Herod understood that having a king means like handing over your Venmo account and saying everything that I have is now yours. Herod got that. Herod understood that that having a king means. That the king comes first. The king comes above career. The king comes above finances. The king comes above family, even kids. The king always comes first. And Herod at least saw it and hated him for it. But at least he didn't try to pretend that Jesus was something that he was not, simply a good teacher. And so the decision that I think all of this forces is that Jesus said that he's the king, the sign declared both at his birth and at his death. So it's on each one of us to to respond and to ask, look, do you recognize him as the king of your life, as sitting on the throne of your heart, that everything you have is now his? Are you going to fall into line with that? Are you going to pretend that he's someone that he said he's not? Or are you going to hate him for it? that you have an opportunity to respond like Herod and try to dethrone him as intensely as you possibly can or like the Magi. When they saw the star that they've been waiting for for 600 years, they pack up the gifts, they pack up their stuff, they travel for months simply to come and lay it down before him in an exercise of extreme submission. Now before you answer, of, of. in your own mind of of which of these sides you're gonna take, loathe him or love him, Herod or the Magi. I encourage you to just think about what happens in the story afterwards. But you know Herod, he doesn't go away. He wanted so badly to be remembered, he wanted so badly for a legacy to remain and he got his wish. We're still talking about him thousands of years after his death. But we don't talk about him the way he wanted to be talked about. We don't remember him as Herod the builder. We remember him as Herod the murderer. He's not Herod the, the great. He's Herod the terrible, Herod the evil. But most of all, we remember Herod by someone, by someone who was living so close to the most important event of human history that Herod was living just and sleeping just just five miles away from the birth of God. And Herod had such an incredible opportunity to deny his own kingdom and serve Jesus. And Herod had this choice to make about whether or not he was going to serve my kingdom or thy kingdom. And he chose himself. And now we look back and it was so short-sighted. And so before you choose, about whether it's, whether you loathe him or love him, it's Herod or it's the Magi. Before you choose how you respond to this Christmas message of the gift of Jesus as king, think about this. Think about how you have the opportunity like Herod did of living and being a part of something so much bigger and so much wider and so much longer lasting than just you. That you have the opportunity this Christmas of living for a kingdom that is going to outlast your career and outlast your finances and outlast your kids and your grandkids and those grandkids that you've got an opportunity to take everything that you have package it up in a gifts of like gold frankincense and myrrh lay it at the feet of Jesus this Christmas and say not my will but thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because I accept the gift of King Jesus in my life. I hope you make that choice today, this week, this Christmas.